You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Uh, during first service, when we were going through the songs, I had this moment where during that last song, I like almost started crying. And it's, I mean, it's not that rare for me to cry, I'm not gonna lie, but I just feel like this week was weirdly hard. You know, as Heidi and I are prepping for the baby to come, as I was prepping the sermon with Mark being gone, I just felt like I had this huge to-do list and everything I kept failing at. I just couldn't get anything done on time and the stress just kept mounting and mounting and mounting and mounting. Until, of course, as one does when they're not, you know, praying about it or going to their source or reading scripture, I blew up. And so these songs, as we're singing them, it's just this, like, ah, conviction. And then even this morning, reading through the message that basically is about our source of love, I felt like God just was like, smacked me. And so as we enter into this sermon, I just want to pray. Because I think a lot of us in this room are feeling exactly how I felt this week. So join with me in praying. God, we come before you, <laughs> humbled by your love, humbled by everything you have done for us. God, I pray as we go through these words in John, Jesus' words in John, that they would transform our heart that they would remind us of who you are and who you made us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, like I said, this week was a little crazy for me. And if you're like me, when things get crazy and you get tired, you consume a lot of coffee. <laughs> And it's not rare for me to consume coffee. If you know anything about me, I love coffee. I love the process of making coffee. And I also have too many cups of coffee per day. We won't say a number, maybe five or six. But you know what I love about coffee? The warmth of it. You know, there's nothing like a good cup of coffee in the morning to, you know, slightly burn your throat a little bit. <laughs> Nothing says you're waking up when that happens. But you know, like I said, weeks get crazy, days get crazy, and as I greatly anticipate with a baby on the way, my mornings will never be the same. Somebody who likes warm coffee, like me, probably feels the same way about lukewarm coffee as me. Lukewarm coffee is gross, right? You leave it sit in for like an hour and you come back to you and you're like, oh, I poured a cup of coffee. <laughs> no, gross, don't do that. But I have a good friend here named Josh Boone in the back and he attended our last church and he graciously was like, man, you know what? I'm gonna do something nice for Nathan because I know he loves warm coffee. So he bought me this thing called an ember. Have you guys heard of it? Yeah, yeah, some of you are like, no, I don't know what that is, it just looks like a regular mug. Well, let me start off by saying this, I am not sponsored by Ember. <laughs> 
I will not get paid a dime for anything I say about them. But one thing I do know is that I love all of you. And so you should all buy this. <laughs> because what it does is it's a smart mug. I feel like everything's smart nowadays. But you program it with your iPhone. So mine, it doesn't have anything in it because I was terrified of having my laptop up here as I like picked the table up and it would spill. But if you put liquid in it, you program your phone to a certain degree. Mine is programmed for 140 degrees. Because like I said, I kind of like it like slightly burning your throat. But the cool thing about the cup is that it keeps it warm whether it's with its base or not. But when it's not with its base, the power begins to fade out of the mug. And when the power fades out of the mug, the coffee inside the mug begins to become lukewarm. But with its base, it keeps its power. It keeps what's inside of it warm. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know where I'm going with this. <laughs> Some of us are way too comfortable with being lukewarm in our walk with Jesus, and we need to come back to our source. Luckily, the verses we are looking at today are John 15, 9 through 17. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you have your iPhones, get off Instagram and get on the Bible app and go to John 15, 9 through 17. I'm going to read them to you as we continue in our series, The Upper Room. So John 15, 9 through 17 says, As the Father has loved, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you my friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you that you love one another. The beautiful piece about what we're gonna do today with these verses is that they're already split into two sections, which makes my life easier. The first section, nine through 11, explain that Jesus is our source of love and joy. While verses 12 through 17 show us what that love actually means. So as we jump into a deeper understanding of these verses, let's pray. Because I truly believe that when we come before God, he opens up our minds and our hearts to what he has for us. And I want this message to really resonate with us today. So let's pray. 
God, as we head back into these words of Jesus, I pray that they would consume us, that they would transform us, that we would know that your son truly loves us. And in that love, that means that you truly love us. Lord, I put this message in your hands. Help every word from my mouth be from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, Mark spoke on the first part of this chapter, John 15, 1 through 8. And if you didn't hear that message, I highly recommend it because that's kind of part one to the part two. So in order to get some of the things I'm doing in this section, you got to kind of listen to that. So don't do it right now, but you could probably find it on our website. I know you can. I don't know why I said probably. You definitely can find it on our website. So feel free to go there and listen to it after today. I don't want to hear Mark's voice while we're here right now. All right. Although that would be a lovely sight because that means he's here. But what we're doing today is going into this next section. And what Mark did last week was he taught us what abiding meant when it comes to branches and vines. And that relationship of abiding in both is a life-giving relationship. But verse 9 takes abiding a step further. In verse 9, we see that <clears throat> as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So yes, abiding is this relationship. It's this life-giving relationship, but it's also a relationship of love. We all have friendships that are life-giving. DMV people, they're not really friends, but they are life-giving. They have to help us, right? But that's not really an expression of love. So what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, hey, guess what? Yes, abide in me. Yes, this is a life-giving relationship, but it's something more than just that. It's also love. And this is pivotal for John 15 because this is where it changes the narrative. Jesus is like, hey, abide and dwell in my love. And his love, as this verse expresses, comes from the Father. So in other words, the love he expresses is from the Father, which means the love we express is from Jesus. And just like my cup right here, it can't do anything without its source. We will not know how to love without our source. And so Jesus is explicitly saying, hey, right here, I'm your source of love. And so how do we learn to abide in this love? Look at the very next verse. The next verse says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my commandments, or my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So what Jesus is saying here is if you want to abide in his love, you have to learn to be obedient. Now, if you grew up in the church like I did, uh, sometimes there are some churches that focus more on laws. Like, be obedient. Don't do anything else. And be obedient. That's the only thing that matters. And the law, 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 that's all that matters. But what Jesus is saying here is that love and commands are synonymous. They are woven together beautifully. And we could tell this because when Jesus earlier in the Gospels is asked, what's the greatest commands? He says two. He says, love God and love others. 
And so when we think of when Jesus says, keep my commands, we need to remember that when we love others, we are showing our love for God. To love God, you have to love others. We are all his children. He loves every one of us, whether we believe in him or not. And we are called to follow and obey just like Jesus followed and obeyed. And by following, Jesus fills us. Look at the very next verse. It says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So we know Jesus is the source of our love. Now we find out he's also the source of our joy. And I think it's important to do this big time out right now because in the Christianese world, we paint joy everywhere as if it's like this great expression of happiness. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you know what? You're having a terrible week. No, the joy of the Lord. Come on, let's go. Okay, hold on one second. I don't know where that came up. Joy is not happiness. That is not what joy means. The actual definition of joy, as expressed in a commentary I read, is joy is an emotive word intended to be the very opposite of fear. So joy is meant to be the opposite of fear, not unhappiness. No. In fact, I think the, one of the best ways joy is expressed in the Bible is Hebrews 12, 2, which says that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This definition of joy does not look like our world's definition of joy. I could see the word being up there like, for the torment that was before him, he endured the cross. But no, it says joy. This type of joy is the joy that seeks God in the times of terror, in the times of hardship, in the times where we can't do anything but cry out because we are so broken. That is joy. When instead of cowering, we step out and say, I'm going to continue to believe and put my joy in my Father. And the beautiful part about this joy and this verse is that Jesus is explicitly sharing, I am with you in your pain. Because if he has joy in the cross, that means he endured one of the most painful things to ever happen. And yet he's saying, I am your joy. I am with you in the hardship. I am with you in the times that you are struggling. And already right here, we're three verses in, and we already know that Jesus is with us in times of trouble. Jesus is our source of love, and he is our source of joy. And although the temperature in the room just changed and it got a little more serious, this is a time to kind of smile and celebrate. Because what this means is that the God of the entire universe loves you. The God of the entire universe is with you in your struggles, in your pain. And he's saying, hey, I'm with you. I'm also your source of joy. And I love what Jesus does in this next section as he enters in to John 15, 12 through 17. 
He's like, you know what? You know this verse already, but let me remind you of it. John 15, 12 says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This might sound familiar because I read that verse about two weeks ago when I spoke. Jesus is reminding his disciples, yes, you can come to me in times of trouble. Yes, I am your source of love. Yes, I am also your source of joy. But guess what? Love as I have loved. And the crazy thing about this verse is that the love command, as this verse is called, is repeated in verse 17. But in verse 17, it does not include as I have loved. And you might ask, well, why would he do that? I mean, that's kind of weird. What he's doing here is he's setting up the theme of this paragraph. He's saying, love as I have loved. Now let me show you what that means. So in verse 17, it doesn't need to be repeated because in the verses preceding it, it explains it. So let's look at John 15, 13. It says, greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. The ultimate expression of love for someone is to put your life aside to excel theirs. Another way to say that is you put their life as a higher priority than your own. I know some people in here are, uh, have that mentality of take the hill. I am very similar to that. I am very driven, and when I read verses like this, I'm like, yeah, man, let's go, type of thing, right? But I don't think what this verse means is that you put yourself in stupid situations to get yourself killed. That's not what it means. But if God is calling you to go to a very dangerous place to preach the gospel, I will pray with you after service, no doubt about it. But what this verse usually means is that day by day, moment by moment, we do small things and small measures to love the people around us. What this looks like is at the grocery store, as somebody has spent six hours packing groceries, what would it look like just to say, thank you? Or call them by name, tell them, man, you know what? Thank you so much for packing these groceries, so-and-so. I hope you have a great day. Man, you know how that changes people's moods just like that? And if you're looking for an example of how to do this, uh, go to the source of our love, Jesus. Look at the Gospels. Jesus was traveling all over the place to preach and teach, but every single day he would stop and pay attention to the people around him. He stopped to heal people. He stopped to elevate people that were broken. Jesus was on this journey from God, but not only that, his journey was to love every single person he met. And the beautiful thing about Jesus' life and the ways he expressed his love is that not only did he do it for his friends and the people that he loved, but he also humbled himself enough to wash the feet of the very man that would betray him. That is what this verse means to love people despite our desires and despite our bias. And in the next verse, Jesus further explains what it means to be his friend. In verse 14, he says, you are my friend if you do what I command you. Now, sometimes when we read this verse, and I'm just going to be honest, when I read it, I'm like, whoa, Jesus, what the heck? 
Like, this is a conditional statement. But it's actually not. A conditional statement is an if-then statement. It would read more like, if you do what I command you, then you will be my friend. But that's not how this is. And I know some of you English people out there are like, oh, Nathan has no idea what he's talking about. It still says if. How dare he say this? Well, I'm not really a grammar person, but what I do know about this verse is that it's not a conditional statement. Jesus says, you are my friend. And the next part is a call to a higher standard of living. It's a call to love people the way that Jesus loved. It's not this like, live a perfectly obedient life. Guess what? We can't do it. We're all human. We're all going to fail that if that's your ultimate goal in life is just to be perfect. Stop. You're never going to get there. And that's okay. It is okay to be human. The intent of this verse is to call us to love others and love God. That is the intent of this verse, and that is how we are friends of Jesus. And the only way to do this is to seek after our source. And as Jesus heads into the next verse that he says, uh, one of my favorite verses in the entire scripture, uh, I believe that he sits there and looks at us and he's like, gosh, I just wish my disciples would get this one thing. <laughs> and so as I read the next verse, I want us all to close our eyes. And I want you to imagine as if Jesus is reading the next verse to you. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Go ahead and open your eyes. I know I already mentioned some uh, very cliche Christianese stuff, but I think some of us believe that Christianity is a form of servanthood. That we listen, we obey. We listen, we obey. There is no give or take. There is no love. There's just a relationship of give and take. And that's not what Jesus is calling us to. That is not Christianity. What Jesus is calling us to is a relationship where love elevates us to a higher standard than we deserve. And in this verse, it's very radical because Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher and his disciples would follow him around and literally do anything he said. But Jesus here was crushing cultural bias. And he said, guess what? You are not my servants. You don't just listen and obey me. No, instead, you are my friend. You are part of the process. You hear everything my father has told me. And now you can communicate with me. And through me, you can communicate with the father. And this is beautiful <laughs> because I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm just a servant. I feel like I'm weighed down by this weight. And what Jesus is saying is let go of that weight. You are not a servant. You are my friend. You are not a servant to be perfect. You are my friend who is broken and it's okay. And the beautiful thing about our relationship with Jesus and this friendship 
is that when you have a good friend, like a friend you don't want to leave, a friend that you're like, man, I just want to continue to be in relationship with this person, you seek to be around them. You want to be with them. You want to learn from them. And most of the time, sometimes you start doing the same things that they do. And this is what Jesus wants us to do with him. Heidi and I have a family motto now that we're, you know, expecting a little one. I feel like you guys hear that all the time. But our family motto is, be with Jesus. Learn from Jesus and do what Jesus did. Those three things are what you do with a good friend. Those three things are things that you hold closely when you're called a friend of Jesus. And being a friend of Jesus is so humbling. And then Jesus, being who he is, is like, yeah, I just humbled you with that verse. Just wait till the next one. And the next one, he says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The disciples and us are Jesus' friend because he chose for us to be his friends. And this is a very humbling reminder that Jesus chose to love us first before we did anything to deserve it. Jesus died a while ago, guys. Before we were born. And he chose to do that even before we knew who he was. And I believe that this verse and 1 John 4.10 really coincide with one another. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The love of Jesus comes first before anything else. Because as Jesus followed and obeyed God, this is what God did. He loved us first. He sent his son to die for us. And honestly, this is a moment where I'm like, my confidence is building through the roof, right? Jesus chose us. He loves us. He's our source of joy. Whoa, we should be hyped right now. Thank you. <laughs> and then Jesus does this thing where right after hyping us up, he says... You should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. And that's kind of puzzling. We're like, what? Okay, so you chose us, and you appointed us, you love us, you're our joy. What does this mean? To bear fruit means to love others and God. But it also means to make disciples of Jesus. It means that we go out and we try to help others see who Jesus is through our actions and through our words. And the beautiful piece is that Jesus doesn't just stop there. He says, so whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And now this is one of the hardest verses to preach on because of that last section. Because some of us read that section and we're like, sweet, all I have to do is evangelize and get people to come to Jesus and I can pray for whatever I want, a million dollars. No, that's not what this means. What this verse actually means, if you read it from the top to the very bottom, is that at the very first part, you realize 
You are not the one that chooses Jesus. He chooses you. You're humbled. Then you learn that you're meant to abide and help others abide. See, this is a process of a changed heart, of a transformed person. And so as we spend time with Jesus, as we spend time learning that he is our joy and he is our love, it transforms us from the inside out. And so our prayers are no longer selfish prayers. They're no longer about what we want. Instead, they're about what God wants. Our prayers go from God this, God that, to God, help me love this person. God, please show this person that you love them. And that is why Jesus, in his brilliance, ends this section with the love command. He says, these things I commanded you so that you will love one another. Jesus ends this command and doesn't as, as I have loved, because at this point he's trying to show us that we are meant to love out of the overflow of his love for us. And when we recognize that Jesus is our source of love, it literally transforms us. It begins to change our hearts, change our minds. Things that we used to find fun change. Things that we used to say change. And as we begin to mimic Jesus, we begin to see that our actions take form to what Jesus was doing. And Jesus gives us a blueprint of this in verses 13 through 16. See, Jesus in verse 13 shows us that we are to sacrifice for one another. In verse 14, he calls us to a higher standard and he asks us to call others to a higher standard. In verse 15, we are called to build one another up. And in verse 16, we are called to encourage one another to make disciples. And the only way to do these things is to abide with Jesus, not week by week, just one day on Sundays. No, every single day, hour by hour, minute by minute, second by second, asking God to transform us from the inside out. And if you're looking at this list and you're intimidated, don't worry, I am too. This list is hard. It's hard to always want to sacrifice for people. It's hard to, have you ever tried to call a friend to a higher standard? <laughs> no, start doing it. You'll see how tough it is. <laughs> Build one another up is kind of a fun one because everybody wants encouragement. But then encourage one another to make disciples? That's difficult. And sometimes we look at this list and we look at our own self and we're like, man, you know what? I'm having just a hard time loving, period. I'm having a hard time finding joy, seeking Jesus. I'm, I'm just having a hard time. And this is the moment I want to encourage you. Come back to your source. The source that calls you friend. The source that died for you. The source that calls you to live in the love of God. And the time you spend with this source will transform you from the inside out. And just like this mug that eventually loses its power and it can't do anything to change what's inside of it, the second you bring it back to its source, the coffee inside of it gets warm. The coffee inside of it transforms and then it's a delight to everyone that drinks it. This is the type of relationship Jesus calls us to. And Jesus, in his brilliance, 
calls us to love one another by first showing us that he is our source of love. Let's pray. God, as we head into the rest of our Sunday, I pray that your words would ring true to us. That we would learn how to love one another. That we would learn how to live out your call for our lives. And God, I just pray that as we head into this next song, that we would use it as a moment of reflecting. Not ways that we have failed to love people, but on ways that you have chosen to love us. On ways that you have chosen to change our hearts and change our minds. Lord, I pray that as we head into this week, that we would be truly transformed by your love. Amen.